Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm here with my friend Joseph. I've known Joseph for a long time now, since 2009. So it's good to be with you again, Joseph, and I'm very happy to have you on this podcast and looking forward to hearing about your life and your testimony. As we start, can you tell us your name, where you come from, tell us your age, how many years you've reached, and tell us about your family. It had been quite long, Anthony, since we had time to be together. My name is Reverend Okelo Joseph Angeki. I am from Bukedia district, working with the office of the bishop in, to be as an in charge IBS. IBS means internal Bible school, mm. trying to help our pastors who have not had an opportunity to have a theological training. Mm. So I am the lead, mm. married to Gaudens, and God has blessed us with seven children, with now 11 grandchildren. Mm. Um, I think that is that. Right now, I am at home fully, apart from taking my IBS programs, and I'm happy to have you around this time. Thank you. You asked me how old am I? Yeah. I am 60 years now. Okay. And by Feb next year, I'll be making 61. Mm. And that's why I asked the office of the bishop to release me from active pastoral ministry and then support them in training. Yes, so you've been a pastor for a long time, but now you're training other pastors. And you didn't mention, but we're in the country of Uganda. We do interview people from other countries as well. Yes. So we're here in Uganda. Um, tell us more about the, the IBS program. What do you do? How does that work for people who maybe don't know what that is? IBS, as I said, is an internal Bible school, an arrangement that is put to support pastors who are actively leading churches from branches to assemblies. Uh, the notes were organized in uh, English. Formerly, one had to take 24 course units, but when we looked into timing and then the, the support that the church would be able to give, we, we thought of reducing it, then we compressed them to 12, with the mind that within 12 months, somebody would have completed a course unit. And the, the challenge is most of these pastors are not, did not have opportunity to have formal education, whereby it has put us instructors into a state of translating those notes mm -hmm. to a TESO, a thing that demands a lot. And also, for one to complete this, every course unit, we try to simplify that you pay only 9,000 shillings. You find that most of the students drop because they are not able to pay 9,000. And that's one of the challenges. Right now, after the COVID time, those classes stopped. In Kumi Pastorate, we have 13 centers where these pastors were put together and then they are trained. But from the COVID time up to now, those classes stopped. In, right now, we are beginning to, we are mobilizing and registering those students. In our action plan, we intend to begin classes come September. 
right now we are getting how many are registering in every assembly so that we can know how many centers are going to be opened so that we can begin classes with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very excited for you to do that ministry. I think you're going to do a great job. You have a lot of experience in ministry and that will help you to share with those pastors as well. Maybe we, we need to get into your story a little bit. Can you share your testimony, how you came to know Jesus, but also how God worked in your life as you got older and how you got into ministry? You can share all of that. That is interesting, Anthony. I would say when you hear me speak like this, God has done many things in my life. I got saved in 1985. I am a P4 dropout. My father was not able to... And, and P4? Primary 4. Is that, yeah, so it's like our elementary school. Elementary school, yeah. class 1, 2, 3, 4. Yeah. And I dropped because my father was not able to pay 6 shillings as tuition for me to study. Mm -hmm. So I went back home without knowing outright my name in our local language, without knowing outright and read. Now I got saved. When I got saved, I received a burden to be a preacher and a teacher of the Word of God. You can imagine a person who does not know how to read. Mm -hmm. uh, two verses in the Bible challenged me as my pastor trained, taught us in church. He taught about a, a, a donkey speaking to a prophet uh, to warn him on what God said. And I said, okay, if this God can, can make a donkey speak, now that I have the burden, then I am trainable than a donkey. Mm. With him, I will be able to read so that I can preach and teach the word of God. That's one. Another verse is when he taught about when, he, when people told Jesus to tell his disciples to keep quiet because they were making noise. And he said, if these people keep quiet, the trays and the stones can worship me. That motivated me. I went to him and told him, how can this be possible? And then told me, if you ask, you'll be given in prayer. And if you knock. So I went and hired my labor. I bought a Bible. I set three days of prayer and fasting aside for God to help me be able to read the word so that I can preach his word. Give me better understanding so that I can teach the word. I went into prayer. First day was for me to ask God to forgive all my sins. Second day was to ask God who enabled the donkey to speak, to open my mouth and my mind to read. Third day was to read by faith. You open scripture, follow the lines with the finger. For the whole night, I found myself trying to read but I did not know whether I was reading the right thing. When I approached my pastor, he told me, yes, but you need to improve. So I continued praying as I learned. After some time, I want to cut the story short. Somebody enrolled me into a correspondence course. After now, I struggled trying to read, doing a certificate in knowing God, knowing Jesus. And then the second one, knowing God. I finished that one. Now I progressed just a number of years. That was 85, uh, 86 is when I, I, I received my revelation to, to, to read the word. I continued doing reading, doing sitting under people to be coached. So I began ministry as an usher. From there I was given to be a Sunday school teacher. After some time I was given to be a youth leader. From there I was given to be in charge of evangelism in our assembly. 
And that was in 1989. I received a burden to go and preach into one of the towns, our local towns, called Bukedea. Bukedea, it was only one person who received Christ as the personal savior. That was the time of insurgency in, in Teso. And I told them, my pastor, he told me, there is no other person going to be the pastor of that person. Go and pastor him. Anthony, I began pastoring one person. That was in 1989. I pastored that person for only one Sunday. They, that, the next Sunday, one family got saved, the mother and the children. I had now four Christians. Second Sunday, seven got saved. Now the church grew like that. As we talk right now, that church is a mother church of 14 branch churches. Mm. And when, I, when the burden developed and grew, I put my application to the office of the bishop that I want to go and do theology. The people leave her. They told me, just go. So I went for interviews. We were given 50 questions right, written. In one of the questions was that the level of education. Mm-hmm. You know what? I answered, it needs time. <laughs> <laughs> so that provoked the panelist, uh, Reverend O.K. Patrick, you know, mm-hmm. to call me. Tell us, what do you say? What do you mean? <laughs> it needs more time. Then I told them, I've come here not to get a paper to look a job but to better my pastoral and preaching abilities so that I can do what God has called me. So they, get, they put me to what they called probation mm-hmm. for one month as they observe my grades so that they can admit me fully. Mm-hmm. After two weeks, they told me you are fully admitted. Nice. And I received my training in Bible and theology. And that's how I came to pastoral ministry in 1987. Uh, 1997, I was ordained as a a reverend, Mm -hmm. and that's how I came to ministry. It was God doing greater things in my life in the the presence of many people, witnesses, who trusted me with leadership positions until I'm now in charge of IBS. You've already shared a lot in your testimony, but I wonder if you look back on all of those many years of ministry, what are some of the highlights? What are some of those times where you really said, wow, look at what God has done? Um, whether through you or whether through other people, but uh, what are some of those highlights that you think back and say, that was really a joyful time? In One of the things that makes me happy is that God was able to help me know how to read and write, a thing that I was not able to do when I was at school. That's one. Two, God doing a great thing, growing a church from one person to a level of 14 churches. It humbles me and see and say, see what God has done. And from that time up to now, seeing the people you led to Christ, you disciple, being ordained as ministers, pastors, reverends, humbles me. And I see it as greater things that God has done in my life. There are many things. There are many things that God has done in my life. Now you hear me speak English. I did not get them at school. I learned them prayerfully as I, I sit under other people who coached and trained me. Mm. That's great. Joseph, let us um, ask you, what, what is your favorite book of the Bible? I have two. Mm. One of them is the book of John. 
I liked to read the book of John and it, it, it what enhanced my pastoral work when I looked into the things that Jesus did. And the next one is the book of Acts. It helps me what a church and how the church started. And it helps me in handling the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what does a typical, let, let me look back now at when you were still pastoring, okay? before you switched to teaching pastors. When you were still pastoring, what was a typical week like? What, did, what was a weekly schedule like? What were your duties and tasks? This is different because I have pastored both rural churches mm. and I've also pastored urban churches. I, I, the office of the bishop relieved me from pastoral work when I was a pastor in an urban church, mm. which had more other 16 branches. So a typical church in a rural church in a rural setting is different. You know, in Africa, churches do not give enough support to the pastors. In a rural church, I had to divide my week into two. Mm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are the days that I had set aside for my family and to do things that can sustain my family and support my ministry outside. Thursday evening, Thursday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday are the days that are set for church. Anything concerning home would be put on hold, and I would concentrate in prayer programs, in counseling programs, and in teaching and Bible programs, and then prepare ministers for a Sunday. And then we conclude with a meeting in the evening on Sunday, I would go and attend the family. So that is the rural setting. Now, when you come to an urban church, it is different from the rural church. Mm. It is more of planning mm. and coaching and discipling. Mm. You disciple, you prepare leaders on what needs to be done in different sects in the ministry. Mm. So my work tended to be an office, official work than practical doing ministry. I, my, my priority church was the leaders mm. so that they can do ministry in the church. Yes. So that is that was so it was full of meetings, planning, prayer, training and coaching in the urban. But the other one it was physical ministry. You do visitation, you do Bible study, and take spend time to explain what ministry is, but to the Christian, but here to the leaders. Um, you mentioned that you needed to do other work to sustain the family. What other work have you done over the years to sustain okay. the Even up to now, I tried business, but business took much of my time to the extent that God was not happy with me. So I had, God had to speak to me by asking me a question. Uh, this the flock I called you to tend? Mm -hmm. Foolishly, without knowing, I quoted scripture that even... The Bible tells me whoever is not able to take care of his family he is worse than an unbeliever. So God kept quiet. But he met me in the workplace. I had a business that would be able to fetch me money. But when God met me through sickness, I had to leave that business. I had to repent and come back to, 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 to church ministry. Now I asked him, how, what, which other way? God led me to, uh, to do agriculture. I am a peasant farmer. 
and that's what I'm doing up to now. This year, we have put 11 acres of rice, and that's our source of sustainability for the family and to support ministry, and even to support the needy. So, peace and farmer is what I'm doing. We grow rice, we grow granites, we grow maize, and other things. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. There's nothing to be ashamed about being uh, a farmer. Being a farmer is a noble task. Yeah, I remember teaching, taking the church through uh, about the topic about Eden, the source of yeah. blessings. Mm. And, and we were able to concentrate on how God was able to be faithful, to harness all those resources mm. for our, our good. Yeah. So that's that is it. Um, now I want to ask you, uh, you mentioned prayer as part of your daily, I mean, your weekly routine as a pastor. Can you tell us more about your, your spiritual life as a person? Um, when do you read the Bible? When do you pray? What are your habits? What are your spiritual habits in the week or in the day? My spiritual habits in terms of studying the Bible, I found myself uh, not able to read the Bible in daytime because there are demands of counseling, guiding, meetings. Most of my reading time is done at night. Uh, what is interesting is that because of my educational background, at college, I trained myself to sleep for only three hours. I can do that early in the evening, and then when people go to sleep, I go to the library. Oh, I, I borrow books, I sit in my room or in any class to read. So it became part of me. Whether I have something to do early in the morning, I'm awake. Mm. So I do my reading at night. I do after my reading, I do most of my prayer time at night. Mm. Daytime is to implement what I've planned for mm. and what I've prayed for. Together with the leaders, after we've done meetings and plans, we put plans. In, in an urban church, Thursday is our day of prayer. We do planning on Wednesday. On Thursday, we pray as a team, praying for our plans for the week, and then we go and implement. My personal, I do at night. Mm. Yeah. So for those of you listening, when he says, when Joseph is saying that he gets three hours of sleep at a night, I can testify that as I've taught Joseph in classes and I've been with him in trainings, I've not seen him falling asleep <laughs> in, in class, which is amazing. I'm not sure how that works. I wish maybe you'll have to teach me that, that yeah. skill. I'd love to have that extra, that extra time. Our bodies can adjust. Mm. As long as you know what you want to do mm. and you begin training yourself, you'll find it there. Mm. I find it difficult to sleep in the morning. Mm. From four... To six, I have nothing like sleep. In most cases, from three, mm. I am awake. That's when I do most of my reading. Mm. When the place is quiet, yeah. I like being in a quiet place. That's a nice time. To pray, to do my notes, to prepare my sermons, and reflect on my plans, prioritize them. Morning, up evening, I implement them. Mm. Yeah. So you don't sleep much, uh, you do a lot of work, do you ever do anything to just relax for fun? Oh yeah, 
when uh, for example in anaban church mondays it it, it was reduced to monday mm. monday is my day off mm. when i'm at home i switch my phones off okay i eat shower sleep mm. and then have time have walks with my my, my wife mm. go to our fields to mount our crops that just kind of life in the evening I like playing with my grandchildren. I told mm. you I had eleven. Mm. Playing, we have football. Mm. You know my home. We play, yeah. we play football. I play with them. I laugh with them. I lie down. They play at my chest. Mm. Monday is that day. I don't go to the garden. I just go and relax. Mm. But Tuesday, Wednesday, in a rural place is work. Yeah. You'll get me in the garden. You may not like it. Yeah. Oh, but I love hearing that. It's so good to have those rhythms where you have some time that you take for the family, for laughing, joking, just resting. That's so important. So thank you. Continue that practice. Um, how have you seen God use your Christians in your churches that you've pastored? So I know we've talked about how God has used you, but now how have you seen God at work among the congregations you've pastored? It's a large question, it's a wide question, yeah, it's wide. but in terms of um, winning other souls, if you may, but let me talk about development. Uh, the greatest challenge in Africa is that we are good in planting churches mm. or beginning fellowships. Mm. But we begin those fellowship, fellowships without a plan. We do not know who is going to pastor them before we went. We do not know how we are going to shelter them before we went. We do not even know how to sustain that person who is going to remain there. We just find ourselves preaching and people are went to the Lord and we call it a church. Now, we have a number of those churches who don't have land where to construct a building. They don't have a structure. So what one of the things that I've seen God do through the Christians together with us is that most of them, not all of them, have come to realize that God has called them with all the little or much they have so that they can do God's work. In most of the churches I've, I've, I've pastored, we have never asked or wrote a proposal to any other donor for us to buy land, for us to build a church. Mm. We struggle, though it will take years, mm. but at least I've seen these poor Christians do it themselves. Mm. That's one. Two, uh, most of these churches, together, through the teaching we give them, have realized that they are a hand of God to support the few they can. Like few old men, mm-hmm. uh, constructing them, the temple, these houses, uh, our grass-touched houses, mm-hmm. as small as it is, at least somebody sheltered, they do that. With the provision of what they can. Mm. Yeah, That's great. It's beautiful to hear. Let's uh, switch topics a bit. Let's look um, now, not so much at your life, but let's look at the wider church. As you look at the, the churches in Uganda, let's focus on Uganda first. In Uganda, if you look at the church, what are some of the big challenges that are facing the church of Uganda today? When I say the church of Uganda, I mean any of the churches. One of them is like I said, planting churches without a plan. 
One of the challenges faced is that having pastors who have not had uh, formal education, nor have they had any theological training, having them pastor a number of Christians in churches, that is a greatest challenge. Because of that, the church in Uganda is like a big tree with shallow roots. And that's why you see that there is a lot of separation of churches breaking out mm. to begin other churches because they do not know how to handle conflict. Mm. They think when they break out, their problems can be addressed. That's one of, the, one of them. Number two is uh, churches in Uganda or pastors and churches need to be helped on how to plan. Resources we have. We have vast land. We have people whom God has brought to church. But plan on how to tap that resource to do ministry effectively is, is what churches in Uganda need. Mm. And then apart from that, yes, we have received, we have got people. Some of those people who have not had a formal education like me have commitment to study. But because of the poor background financially, most of them cannot afford a, a, a theological training. Mm. Imagine, nine thousand for IBS, pastors cannot afford. So churches in Africa need to be helped on how to build the capacity of the pastors to manage numbers that God are bringing to them. In addition to structural uh, development, building of churches, that one they can struggle. If anybody can support, that's okay. A major one is we have many Christians in churches who don't have Bibles that they can read. Churches in Uganda need a support and a help to be able to know that it is good even to have a Bible than buying a kilo of meat every week. Mm. It's an area of need and challenge. That's why you find that most of the Christians do not understand what the Bible is, is saying. They, they are in church because of, if you came to, to Uganda, we are good at praising God not in digesting the word because now there are no bibles we have few pastors who are trained it's a big challenge i think those are a few things i would be able so to say so when when pastors are not trained and they the people don't have bibles what are people preaching them of course uh, some of them may borrow mm -hmm. some of them may use torn ones mm -hmm. some of them may use memory verses mm -hmm. and that's the danger because the circumstance has forced you to be, has, has put yourself into a leadership position. You have to do something. And that's why I'm saying it's a challenge that needs deliberate support, either within the leadership within here or within anybody who has a heart to see people trained so that they can help masses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what would you like to see organizations from North America, organizations and missionaries and churches from North America, what role do you see them playing in Uganda? Apart from a common one, which is praying for us, mm -hmm. I would encourage that they would, would build partnerships mm -hmm. where I would be able to have exposure they would also come to see what ministry like in, Af in Africa. Mm. 
they will be able to hear the voice of the Lord speak to them on the area they can support. And also, through partnership, pastors here can also be exposed to the other side and they will be able to see how they are doing ministry. The Spirit of the Lord may be able to speak to them from there on things that they need to correct from here. Not only that, um, missionaries brought uh, the gospel to Uganda and to Africa. And to me, my analogy to explain what I say is a bush. A bush of grass that has dried. The bush in Africa those days was dry. They were able to bring the fire of the gospel and the fire was able to catch up. And the fire burnt. I believe this fire of revival began from there. Now always when you put fire from here, it is, it is, it is, it is normal that it dies fast from here and continues burning. I believe the fire that came here died from there sometime. It needs, and I believe the grass have sprouted out. They were green, and I believe they are now dry. That, fire, that bush also needs fire. Mm. Through the partnership, I believe the gospel can go back from here mm. to there. But without partnerships, it's not be possible. Mm. So I emphasize the issue of partnership. So that the Lord can speak to both of us yeah. on how we can support one another. Mm. Partnership. And then two, it would be good if the pastors and the churches in North America consider a church in Africa as a global church, they are where they belong. Mm-hmm. What do you think if you, if you used to stay in a furnished home here in Uganda, and when you go back to your home and you find that your home, the house has dilapidated, mm-hmm. you, are, you don't feel comfortable staying in it. Mm-hmm. You will not feel good. If brothers and sisters in North America consider churches in Africa as a home for them, mm-hmm. where brothers and sisters, when they come, they will be able to see how to support them. Mm-hmm. Either by sharing their experiences on how they reached the level they are, either they will volunteer coming, working alongside us, mm-hmm. that would be okay. Mm-hmm. We would welcome. That would be good. Thank you for sharing about that. Those are very important things for our listeners to hear. Um, I want to look more at that topic about what, especially people in North America, can learn from Christians here. But before we jump into that, I'm just curious, the people of your church, what do they think about, let's say, the United States? Um, Maybe you try to make it clear. Like, 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 when they hear about the United States, what do they think about Americans? Okay. What, what do they think about the American church? What do they? What is? What kinds of things do they say? They think that the Americans do not need to be preached again because they have never seen any other missionary go from here to somewhere. Mm. Missionaries come just from there this way. Mm. So missionary work. The church here think that it's only the Americans who can do, and they don't need to be preached or uh, there is nothing they can teach to mm. the churches in America. I don't know whether their perspective is true, because even <laughs> me, I have not gone there. And then too, uh, they see them as different from them in terms of relationship 
with God because it looks like they are near God than them here. Mm. So whenever the Americans come to Uganda or Africa, they, the Ugandan Christians feel freer. Mm. They need to be told, I don't know. What, what makes them feel that uh, Americans are closer to God? Because even when they come here, uh, they are the ones teaching. Mm. And they are never given an opportunity. It looks like nothing, nobody in Africa who has a potential that can be beneficial there. So it makes them think, for us, we are not able to do anything. One of the things that's really important uh, to consider. Another thing I think is important to consider is that Ugandans usually only meet Americans who are Christians. Uh-huh. Those are the ones that are coming and don't realize that we have a lot of people who in are? the United States who are not Christians. But the ones that are coming to visit Uganda are Christians. many times, not always, but many times are are Christians, so it can give a wrong picture. Yeah, that's why I brought the issue of partnership. Mm. If they had opportunity to be there, they would be able to see, hey, we thought there are no drunkards here. Mm. We thought there are no poor here, poor people here. But when they see, they will come and say we are better than them. Mm. They can come and say we can do it better than them. Mm. And they will be motivated. Mm. I think that is partnership is necessary. Yes. Yeah. So it may be a little hard to answer this because you've not visited the United States or other Western countries, but uh, you know your own church. You know the African church, you know the churches in Uganda, you know your own PAG churches. What are some of the real strengths of the churches here that people around the world can learn from? Or let me say brothers and sisters in Christ around the world can learn from? What are some of the real strengths uh, of the churches here? What can they teach maybe people around the world? First of all, the vigor to preach or to share the gospel is one of the strengths in the African churches. Mm. They may not be able to explain it well, but that vigor and courage to reach out Mm. is one of their strengths. It is the reason why we have a number of churches planted here. Mm-hmm. It is the reason why you find many uh, members in most of the churches. A reaching out is a continuous thing. Then secondly, praying and trusting in God that he can be able to do impossibles. Mm-hmm. Because we, at least every church has a, a weekly prayer day. Mm-hmm. Weekly, where people abandon work, food, families, and come and tarry before God and pray to God. It is a strength to the church here. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm above many, those two okay. are key. I believe the North American churches can also learn. Because I have never been there, I don't know their prayer life, their prayer patterns, mm. I don't know their outreaches, mm-hmm. but I know Ugandan churches and African churches do those two. Better. I, I think that's correct. Um, from my own life, <laughs> that's, those are two areas I've learned a lot from, from Christians in Uganda. And I think that's generally true. That we, of course, we do some evangelism, but it's not like here. Yeah. We get uh, afraid to, to share the gospel with people, maybe because we don't want to be rejected or insulted. Um, and then prayer life. Yeah, we pray, but the time 
Yeah, especially the time factor. Um, the time factor, Ugandans, maybe African Christians in general, are very committed to pray for long periods of time. And for, for many of us Americans, it's difficult to pray for, for a long time. Maybe to add on that, one of the things that is a strength, Christians in Africa, mostly in Uganda, have known, uh, have known, have known to live in hard situations but maintain their faith. Mm. They know what luck is, mm-hmm. and they know when they have to have enough. Not all of them, but a majority, mostly those who have known the Lord. They can, if we say we are going, we are putting this week aside for evangelism, they can afford to sleep anywhere to make sure evangelism is done, even if it is outside, mm-hmm. even if it is without food. Mm-hmm. As long as a week or two days has put aside for evangelism, whatever circumstance they go through, they will endure and make sure their mission is accomplished. I don't know whether Christians and pastors in South America do that. We also fast and pray at times, but um, it's not as much. So I think those are the areas of strength. But let me add one, based on what you were saying. Although the prosperity gospel is very strong in Africa, when I look at most of the pastors, not the prosperity preachers, but the, the pastors like you, I see that there's a willingness to suffer for Christ, mm-hmm. willingness to sacrifice and suffer for the gospel. Um, can you share with us, for you personally, what, what are some ways that you have sacrificed or suffered because of your walk with Christ, or ways that you have suffered for the ministry? I don't know whether it's like this in North America. For us pastors in Uganda personally, uh, I have realized, I've, <clears throat> I've realized structured salary as being a pastor in my last two years of ministry, personal ministry. Because from 1994 to 2003, the best amount um, church could give me is 500 shillings. I don't know how much is that yeah, com- converted to like, uh, dollars. Maybe 10 or 15 cents, not even a dollar. So you give your time Right, I said from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, full time. That's a sacrifice. And then to walking a long distance on foot to go and visit, to go and pastor a church because there is no bicycle, no motorcycle. That's one area of sacrifice. And then thirdly, you are a pastor in a far place. The church cannot afford to give you accommodation, not even food. If you don't go prepared, at times you stay hungry to make sure the church is sustained. Mm-hmm. Away from your children and your family for a number of days, it's an area of sacrifice. Above all, when Christians come to church, they see you as a source of support. They do not know you also live like them. <laughs> Every Sunday you get a number, a line of them come to you, please, pastor, support. Because we know and understand our situation. You don't say, I don't have. Some of them you say, let's pray, God will provide, because you don't have a straight answer. Mm-hmm. But if you have something little, 
you share one good thing with us because we are peasants, we call them, come home, at least give a basin of cassava and they will be happy. Mm. So those areas, the area of pay, area of distance and means of transport and then uh, a church looking at you as a source of support is an area of sacrifice. Have you ever gone through persecution from Oh yeah. Because of time, when I got saved and I became a pastor, my own parents did not know Christ as their personal savior. By that time, I, I was married with gardens. Traditionally, it is the parents to marry for you. Mm. They pay the cows and the, all that dowry. Because I got saved, that interfered with the traditional norms. So they took my wife away from me. Mm. I, I lived as a single person without a wife supporting me for more than five years. Mm. Beginning to wash, carry water for myself, cook for myself. That's an area of suffering. Uh, I've also been subjected into torture because of being a pastor of, of families whose husbands are not saved. They begin to assume or suspect that you may be uh, having an affair with their women. Mm. When it is not true, we endure all that. Yeah. Yeah, those are the kind of sacrifices and, and suffering that I had in mind when I asked that question. Mm. I'll let you know that most of the pastors, not all of them, but most of the pastors, like in the United States, um, are paid enough so that they don't have to do other work, so that uh, they're able to do ministry full time, spend a long time preparing their messages. They don't have to do garden work or other things. When I tell you that, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> um, I will not, I will not, uh, I, I can't complain because I do not know the far they went to reach there. Mm. I believe one time God will take us also there. Mm. We only need to pray for patience yeah. and the providence. And I ask our brothers from the West to pray for us. Mm. And maybe I would love to say something. One of the challenges in the churches to churches of Africa right now is wrong teachings. Mm. You have mentioned about prosperity gospels. Many pastors who have failed to be patient with the pace that the church gives them begin and innovate their own gospel so that they can attract and manipulate poor people and get money. It is something that is growing and it's the reason why I'm saying that if our pastors can be subjected to training, then they'll be able to understand that the gospel cannot be used to con money. Mm. There is judgment. That is also another thing. Uh, uh, false teachings as far as prosperity gospel in the area of prophecy, those, those doctrinal matters, because they have lot training most of the churches are suffering, are taking that poor false teaching. It's a challenge. Yeah. It affects the body of Christ. If you are listening to me there, out there, and you have a burden on how to support the leaders to be able to handle churches, here is an opportunity. Are you a trainer? Are you somebody whom God has blessed? At least support and sponsor one pastor for a training. It will be okay. And many people behind him will be saved. Mm. Joseph, we're coming to the end of our time. 
I want to give you an opportunity to share two things as we close. Uh, first, is there any kind of encouragement or something that's on your heart that you want to share with the listeners? Remember that these listeners could be from North America. They might be your fellow pastors here in Africa. Uh, what, would, what would you like to share? What's burning on your heart? And then after that, you can share uh, some prayer requests for your family and your church. For the pastors, fellow pastors in Africa, as far as ministry is concerned, I want to encourage you, if really God has called you, and you know he has called you, and you serve him faithfully, trusting him, he will never fail to provide for your needs. I've been a pastor from 1989. Up to now, I've seen God provide for my needs. I pray that God helps us to trust in him and work faithfully. Number two, God always blesses the works of our hands. In our situation, I would encourage that, have something to do that God will bless. And you'll be able to do ministry without shame, without blame. Until such a time, God will bless a church and helps the, church, the eyes of the Christian to see that it is their role to support us. Let's do something and do ministry faithfully. And to the friends outside there, maybe friends who are listening to me in North America right now, the fellow pastors and Christians, Africa is still open, not only for evangelism, but for many things. For example, I talked about partnership. You are welcome to share and stand with us. There are many things that we can learn. We can ask you, how far did you go? to reach to the extent that the church pays you salary. Mm -hmm. Such information can help us. Mm -hmm. We can be able, there are things that we can do to the Christians to help them. When we hear from you, God will use that knowledge to support work here. We can also uh, get to know uh, the challenges that you are undergoing. Maybe we have not reached to some of them. We will be warned in advance. Mm -hmm. I call for partnership. If you are out there and you feel God has called you to Africa, welcome. Through Anthony, you'll be able to reach. If you want to reach to rural churches, you are welcome. If you want to go to urban churches, you're welcome. Let's do the work of God together. Mm. It will be able to benefit and bring glory to the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know how to bring this. Most of our pastors find it very difficult because they don't have pay in church. And those who are going to the Bible college, Bible colleges are far from their families. Going away for Bible training for three years may be creating another opportunity for the devil to attack. Mm. Uh, if there is a way we can be able to support these internal Bible schools so that these pastors can be closer to their families, and they will be able to have training closer home, and they will be doing ministry at the same time. That would be okay. We are struggling in terms of literature, books that pastors can study to use. And then we can we also study on how to develop material on discipleship, mentoring, and coaching. If that is your area of ability out there listening to me, opportunity 
of serving Christ through building capacity is here. Why don't you use such books that are redundant in your shelves to support a pastor here who is struggling? Mm-hmm. I call upon my fellow pastors out there to see it as an opportunity and you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Not only financial, because finances are like water. If you give us your finances, they will disappear. But in Africa we say it is good to give a hook to a person to go and use for uh, fishing than to give them a fish because they will eat that fish tomorrow they will not eat. If we support the pastor either by helping them have a theological training, either by giving them a relevant book or a material that is organized that he can use for discipling the church, that would bring glory to the name of the Lord. And if you are out there, you have that, the door is open. Welcome. Now, that is wonderful. Now, would you like to share uh, prayer requests? Yes. Personally, I call upon my fellow pastors out there to pray for me. Uh, being in church training of pastors is a new ministry to me. I, would you please pray for me that God gives me the wisdom on how to handle it, mostly during after COVID. COVID left people in a, a bad shape here in Africa. Most of them have lost their faith. Most of them have lost interest in ministry. Most of them are facing financial challenges. In convincing them, encouraging them to be part of classes, difficult. may you pray for me that God gives me the, the wisdom. Not only that, I've been handed 13 centers where we have instructors who are supposed to come from far to those centers and there is no means of transport. Without commitment in their hearts, they will not be able to make this ministry successful. Would you pray for the instructors, for God to give them commitment that surpasses the distance and all the challenges that they can support these fellow pastors? And also, our prayer is that if we can establish uh, a center in the pastorate, which would be able to accommodate these pastors, in that I mean establish, put material, put structures, instead of training them under trees, they would be able to come to one place and we can be able to sustain them for a week or so, they are trained and they go back to their places. Now we do training under trees. Our focus is the pastor. If we can be able to centralize it, that we can be able to have them come and stay, have a better place to train them, that would be okay. It's our prayer that you help us pray for us to establish such a center that pastors are trained. Because our focus is to see that those IBS centers are developed to be branches of either certain theological school and they will be able to have a better training. Yeah, personal at home, I pray that, um, pray with me that God gives us good health. You know, at the age of 60, you're beginning to feel the effects of old age. Mm. Yeah, so I need your prayers that God gives us good health and we'll be able to support the church to unknown time. Yeah. Well, I will be praying for you about those things. I know our listeners will as well. So let's close here, Joseph. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you too for giving me opportunity. Thank you for listening to me. I pray that this blesses you 
and made open a door for us to pattern. Thank you.